Our reading this morning, excuse the croaky voice, our reading this morning is to be found on page 30 of the Church Bibles, and it's from Genesis chapter 27, verse 41, through to the end of chapter 28. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told what her elder son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say, flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from the Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padan Aram and to the house of your mother's father Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself from there, from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now Esau learned that, Jacob, that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him to Padan Aram to take a wife from there, and that when he blessed him, he commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother, and had gone to Padan Aram. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath, the sister of Nebioth, the daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and the east, to the north and the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you, and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. 
When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and watch over me on this journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Hello, my name's uh, Stephen Demetrio. I'm the youth minister here at Bishop Paynton Church. And November, it brings out memories of, of school cross-countries. Anyone else do school, school cross-countries in November sort of time? Every single Friday was our secondary school cross-country. 45 minutes of running through Galley Lane and the Elephant Dip. And, and like, you'd run whatever the weather and there were two ways to run the cross-country, school cross-country. Um, option one was to kind of follow the course, run all the turns, do it properly. Option two, the sneaky sneakerson route. You could kind of cut off certain corners, take little shortcuts, and you could shave off about 10, 15 minutes of running and cheat your way through the course. And like... There were certain November days, like we've had this week, where the wind is kind of whipping through, the rain is driving down, and kind of, I'm a, I'm a guy who runs the course properly. You run the course, you get to the end of it, and you're exhausted, soaking wet, covered in mud, like... <sighs> and there were these guys over here, just standing there going, <laughs> like, like, not tired at all, they walked half of it and still beat me, they're not muddy, not wet, just like laughing and joking away. The worst. And like, I've got to admit, something inside me there just wanted justice on the Sneakersons. I wanted them to, to, to kind of get, get Mr. Bennett's fire and fury and rage of him to say, Boys, you're doing it again. That's what I wanted. They cheated. And actually, kind of, they never, ever, ever got caught out for it. Really annoyingly. Um, I'm just there like, ah. Well, well, kind of, because um, some of them had to do the, the school cross-country. I represent the school cross-country, so they kind of did get their, uh, yeah, did get in trouble in the end. Um, but, but I think each of us human beings has this kind of streak of justice inside of us, where we kind of want the bad guy, the villain, to lose. Where we kind of want the cheater, the stealer, the liar to get found out, don't we? And so actually, coming to Genesis 27, 28... Jacob is the villain. Jacob's the stealer, the cheater, the liar. And if I'm honest, I want him to get justice. I mean, last two weeks ago, we saw that he stole, he cheated, he lied his way into taking his brother's inheritance. And man, I'm expecting this chapter to be all about justice and judgment on Jacob. Right? That, that's what he deserves. But let's kind of backtrack a little bit because some of us may not have been here for the last few weeks. Um, we're kind of following this blessing, or this promise that God gave to a man called Abraham through Genesis. And God promised Abraham three main things. One, Abraham would have a place, a kind of land to call his own. 
Um, to Abraham become a mighty people, our descendants more than the stars in the sky or the dust of the earth. And three, blessing that kind of through Abraham, the whole entire world will be blessed. And like through these promises, God is kind of turning the world right side up, making everything good again. And this blessing, this promise, it kind of is passed down Abraham's family tree like a, like a family heirloom, like a family jewel. So it goes from Abraham to his son Isaac. And then it should go to Isaac's older son. He has twins, um, Esau and Jacob. So his older twin, Esau. Esau, his name means hairy one. What a name, the hairy boy. Um, but he's kind of like this wild, hunt-hunting, bear grills, kind of outdoorsy guy, loved by his dad. And then there's Jacob, whose name means deceiver, heel-grabber, tripper-upper. Um, and the promise should go to the older one, to Esau. And yet, through some skullduggery, manipulation, some sneakery, Jacob steals that blessing. It's like he steals the, the family heirloom. And I'm waiting for the justice to come to Jacob in this chapter. So let's have a look what it says in verse 41. Esau held a grudge against Jacob. Well, obviously, he's stolen his blessing. Um, but look what he says to himself. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Esau's kind of saying, my dad's on the way out. When he dies, I'll mourn for a little bit. Then I'm coming to kill my brother Jacob. Now, now that's really extreme. But, but, but part of me does want Esau to get his hands on Jacob and just rough him up a little bit. Give him a bit of justice. Kind of, kind of, kind of like, 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 take it like, take it down a few pegs. Because so far, Jacob's prospering from his lying and his cheating and his things. It doesn't seem right or fair. Um, but... Uh, his mum, Rebecca, she loves Jacob, by the way, and dotes on him. She can't bear to see little Jakey Wakey get into any trouble. So look what she does. She hears about Esau's plot. Verse 42, she says, uh, Jacob, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. She, she basically kind of says, Jacob, we need to get you out of here. Take the 500 mile trip to go and see my brother. Uh, you'll be safe there. Come back after that. It'll be fine. Um, and like uh, Jacob starts packing his stuff up and so Rebecca goes and speaks to Isaac, speaks to um, her, her husband and tells him a different story. You notice that? He tells him a kind of sneaky story. He tells him we need to get a nice wife for our, for our boy Jacob. Interesting manipulation there. But um, um, and Isaac calls Jacob to himself. And this is kind of the first meeting of father and son since Jacob stole the blessing. So I'm expecting a father's rage here. A father's rebuke. But look what he says in verse 3. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. Blessing, people. May he give you in attendance the blessing given to Abraham, verse 4, so you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner. Uh, people, place, and blessing. It's like, it's like Isaac is reiterating the promise that was given to him to his son Jacob. And like, this is ridiculous. It's, it's, it's kind of like, um, 
Well, it feels like the naughty behaviour of Jacob is going unpunished and he's getting actually rewarded for his naughty behaviour. This, this does not seem fair, does not seem right. And so he's sent off, sent off packing with these words of blessing ringing in his ear. Verse 10, we read, um, well, I think the screens aren't working, so we'll just leave them down for now. Um, verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. Oh, there we go. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. So he leaves, taking this massive, massive, long journey. And I know I've been hard on Jacob so far, but, but kind of, you can't help but feel a little bit sorry for him at this point. He's left everything behind. All his relationships have been severed and broken. Relationship with his dad, which was never kind of that good, always trying to prove himself to his dad, has now taken a turn for the worst. Relationship with his brother. Well, his brother wants to murder him. That's not a good relationship right there. And with his mum, well, the only person who's had his back, who's looked after him, who's loved him, he's never going to see her again. He comes back 20 years later and she's dead. And and you can't help but feel sorry that Jacob's got literally nothing left at this point. He's rock bottom, sleeping on a rock. Absolutely nothing left. And I was trying to get into into the head of of Jacob here. And um, it reminds me a little bit of when I went to South Carolina. I was 19 years old at the time. And I took a a, a six-month trip to live in South Carolina with my friend Nick. Nick lives in a log cabin in the woods, the middle of nowhere. I'm a London boy. I I like smog. I like tubes. I like noise. I like all that kind of stuff. And so kind of take a long flight over there, get land in Atlanta, Georgia, go through security, get questioned and interrogated by security guards, not pleasant, and then drive to Nick's house. And it's night. All I can hear is like the catfish flapping in the pond next door. I was just sitting on this chair, just rocking back and forth, holding myself, going, Oh no, what have I done? He hasn't even got an oven. What is this place? Six months. Like, like, like suddenly, the reality of where I was, what I was doing, suddenly hit me. I'm here for six months, no family, no oven. Like, oh. and, and I, I think that's a little bit like what's going on in Jacob's head uh, in Genesis 27. 28, the reality of what he's done is just hitting him, kind of crying himself to sleep almost. He's broken all his bridges. He's he's realizing how deadly and devastating the effects of sin are on his relationships. Absolute rock bottom. And he doesn't even have a, a relationship with the living God at this point. Um, I, I think like, yes, his dad, his dad Isaac um, and, his, and his mom Rebecca, they know God. He's from a family of faith, but he himself doesn't know the living God. He's got literally nothing. And actually, I want to take a moment to talk to Rooted and KO guys. Um, you guys, um, you may have like families who bring you to church and come from an amazing family of faith. Fantastic. I want to encourage you guys to make your faith your own. To kind of get to know the living God for yourself. To kind of be the driving force, rather than your parents telling you to come to church, read the Bible and pray. You guys take ownership of that. Get to know God for yourself. He's wonderful. And Jacob doesn't know him. 
He's got nothing left. And yet, did you see what happened? The living God climbs down to meet Jacob. The living God climbs down to meet Jacob. Have a little look at verse 12. Verse 12. Jacob had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Um, I've recreated his dream right here. This is our our stairway. It would have been a kind of wide stairway with angels kind of going up and down it. Um, and Jacob's there. This, this kind of stairway that connects heaven and earth. And in fact, it's a sort of like familiar sight back then. It would have been a bit like one of these, um, an ancient ziggurat. Ziggurats are kind of like the, 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 these um, steps that were built into the sides of mountains or mounds. Because in the ancient Near Eastern thinking, the idea was, well, the gods... They were up high, not down low. The gods didn't live on earth. The earth was where the scum was, where the filth was, where the mess was. Gods were above that. And so, kind of, you'd expect that the living God of the Bible would be, like, right up... Let's try again. (laughs) Um, Right up high, really tall. He'd be above Jacob and come and rebuke Jacob. That's what we expect to happen, right? Well, have a look at verse 13. Verse 13, there above it stood the Lord. That's what we expect, God to be up high, Jacob down low, and God to bring the justice on Jacob. But, but actually, have a look again at verse 13. Look again, look, look at the details. Verse 13, there's a little C, a little footnote in my Bible that takes me to the bottom, and it says this, there beside him stood the Lord. That's what I think verse 13 says. Um, not just me, a guy called Richard Borkham, who's a kind of uh, an Old Testament scholar. Um, he says, Jacob sees God, not as one would expect, at the top of the stairway, but at the bottom. See, God's not at the top looking down, but he's come close and personal to meet Jacob in the pit of his own making. God climbs down to meet Jacob. I think this is true because look at verse 15. Verse 15, um, God says, I I am with you. Now God's not going to shout that from the top of the stairs like me shouting to my mum, I'm coming for dinner, mum. No, no, no. No, God's going to be down there next to Jacob, arm round him saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. God climbs down to meet Jacob. Isn't that amazing? Like, I want justice on Jacob. I want God to rebuke him, take the blessing from him, give it to Esau. But no, God shows incredible, wonderful, lavish grace. He climbs down to meet Jacob. Jacob's first experience with the living God. Wow. And like, think about Jacob's life. His whole life has been kind of um, about ladders. Um, he spent his whole life trying to, trying to climb and work and earn his father's approval, his father's blessing, to climb above his brother, to make his way into his dad's heart. And so no doubt when he meets the living God, he kind of thinks that the living God is going to be a God who's about ladders too. We have to climb up to get high, to meet him, to be good enough for him. But what does he realise? 
Why does God teach him in this beautiful vision that we can't climb up, that God's too far above us? So God climbs down. What a wonderful free and free. We'll come back to that in a minute. But I love this. God doesn't communicate with Jacob via the angels, doesn't communicate on top of the stairs. He comes down to meet Jacob. Such astonishing grace. Um, and look what, look what God says to him as well. I think this is amazing. Um, if you check out verse uh, 13 again. Jacob, uh, God says to Jacob, I'm the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. Now, now stop there for a minute. Because, because right there, God is kind of saying, Jacob, you are part of Abraham's family. You are the natural kind of heir to Abraham. He's tying that promise together over and over again. Jacob's heard this promise from his dad's lips, but now he gets to hear the same promise given to Abraham, given to him from the mouth of the Lord God Almighty. Wow. Because that's what God goes on to, goes on to, goes on to explain, doesn't he? He, he says, um, I will give union descendants the land on which you're lying on. God says, I'm going to give you a place. And then... In, in verse 14, he says, in a sense, be like the dust of the earth, people, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Blessing. People, place, blessing, all given from God's mouth to Jacob. That's amazing. Like, like Jacob doesn't deserve that. He doesn't deserve any blessing. He doesn't deserve any of that stuff. Yet God climbs down to meet Jacob and bless him. Wow. Isn't our God wonderful? I think this incident kind of changes Jacob. Because, um, well, God also says, I'm with you, I'm not going to leave your side. And Jacob wakes up, um, and he wakes up in a very different place to enter sleep. Look, look at verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is the house of God. And he builds a stone, puts a stone up and kind of anoints it with oil and calls the place Bethel. See, Jacob finds something out about God that is beautiful. I think up to this point, Jacob thinks God is a bit like phone signal. Um, we took uh, KO to London last week, um, and for some reason, the train went through Littlehampton first before going to London. I know. But, but like, you start in Hove with your phone out, and you're checking the rugby scores, 4G, Hove's a metropolis, like, like loads of stuff happening there. Lovely, lots of signal, happy days. You go into, like, the outer rims of Sussex to Worthing. Um, and suddenly, you're down to 3G on your phone. Oh, and it's painful, slow, loading of the rugby scores and the crickets. Oh. But then, the wilderness of Sussex, Littlehampton. Oh. And my phone says an E on it. Like, like E, emptiness, nothingness, there's no signal here. Like, like you, you get further and further away from, from, from like signal. And I think that's Jacob's understanding of God. That kind of God is tied to a certain place. And the further you get away from God, the kind of less effective God gets. And yet, verse 15, God says, I'm with you. Jacob realizes something wonderful, that, that, that God, yes, he's absolutely everywhere, but he's not tied to a place. The living God is tied to people, to his people. And he will not leave their side. Jacob learns God's grace and God's presence is with him. 
God climbs down to meet Jacob and walk with him. And this is such a profound thing that it sort of shapes Jacob. Um, um, he, he goes through some really difficult times. He gets cheated by his uncles. Um, that's ironic, isn't it? Um, and his uncle makes him work for 14 years. Kind of, he goes through really difficult times, hard times. But after 20 years, he kind of comes back to Bethel. And on his way back to Bethel, well, um, we read in Genesis 35, 20 years later, verse 3, Jacob says, let's go to Bethel, where I'll build an altar to God to answer me in the day of my distress and and who has been with me wherever I have gone. Jacob, 20 years later, says, God has been with me wherever I have gone. Jacob is so profoundly changed. He's kind of, every part of his life has been colored by the presence of God walking with him. What a wonderful thing to learn. God's presence and God's grace. Um, This is a really interesting thing in the Bible, that um, this incident, Jacob's ladder as it's sometimes called, has been so like captivating to popular culture that it's kind of grown in so many different ways. Like um, there are flowers named Jacob's Ladder. There's a walk in the Peak District named Jacob's Ladder. There's kind of a high ropes activity named Jacob's Ladder. Like our culture is fascinated with this with this thing. There's there's books, there's films, there's songs. Jacob's Ladder, Stay to Heaven. Like they all kind of come from this moment. And yet the Bible doesn't seem to share the same fascination with this part of Scripture. In fact, it's only mentioned one other time in the whole entire Bible. Mentioned from the mouth of Jesus. When he meets a man called Nathaniel. Nathaniel's sitting there and Jesus says, Ah, Nathaniel, here is a man in whom there is no deceit. Interesting, Jacob's called the deceiver. The first little link. Um, and then kind of Nathaniel's like, Wow, that's amazing, you know me? And Jesus says this, You believe, because I told you I saw, I saw another fig tree, you will see greater things than that. He then added, very true, I tell you, you will see heaven open and angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Have a look at Genesis 28 and that dream. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, I am the God who has stepped down from heaven to meet you. More than that, I am the God, I'm the ladder, I'm the way to get up to heaven. Like, Jesus is the living God who has climbed down into our mess to take us out of our our mess, to be with him in glory. This, like Jesus, is God's grace and God's presence to his people, shown in beautiful fullness. See, getting to know the living God is not about climbing up and earning our way into his good books. We can't do that. It's about the living God climbing down to take us up. And hey, if you don't know the living God, you too can meet him because he's come down to meet you. But also, Jesus tells us about God's presence too. Um, on the cross, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was truly abandoned on the cross so that his people would never know a moment apart from their God. Christians, the living God is tied to you and will not ever leave your side. Um, And yet, we don't always feel that, do we? 
often feeling is different to truth. Um, this is what this lady, Law Ferguson, said. She kind of writes for the Gospel Coalition, a big evangelical organization in America. She said, God's nearness is not a feeling, it's the truth. Um, even when we feel like God's distance, so like for me, when I was just became a Christian, 17 years old, um, my grand died, my granddad died, and my uncle died, all, all from cancer in the space of like a month. And like grief does a funny thing to our body where we feel distant from everybody else and even feel distant from the living God. Like it felt like God wasn't even there. And yet even in those moments where it feels like God is far off, Jesus on the cross, Jacob's ladder tells us that the living God is right there beside us. He never leaves our side. So, BH Church family, whatever you head into this week, whatever you've got coming up this month, this year, remember that you do not go into it alone. The living God is with you, tied to his people. Let that colour and tint and change everything you go through. See, sitting in the darkness on our own is a scary and terrifying thought. Sitting in the darkness with somebody, it doesn't make the darkness any less dark, but it does make it bearable. The living God is with you. Wow. God's presence and God's grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful and beautiful, um, incredible dream that Jacob saw. Thank you that, that, that he saw that, like kind of the cross played out from the living God come down from heaven to earth. Thank you that you are God who's come down into our mess to take us up to be with you forever. Thank you too for the truth that if we're your family, you will never leave our side. Help us to remember that and not forget that. Amen.